Well, good morning. My name is Josh Tate. I'm the pastor here at State Road Advent Christian Church and so excited for this occasion this morning. I can't remember just waking up and feeling so excited. I mean, I'm always excited to come to church, but today is an especially exciting morning. Um, The order of our service is going to be a little bit different than normal if you're a longtime attender here at State Road. And I'm going to try and keep my comments brief this morning uh, because we have a lot of people to baptize and a lot of people to welcome into membership. And really what they're doing this morning is the main message. That, that what they're doing by going into the baptism and uh, into the waters of baptism and by being received into membership is the main statement that needs to be made here in the midst this morning. But just to kind of unify our hearts and minds around this wonderful thing that is happening in the lives of these fellow believers, I just do have a few thoughts I wanted to share with you about baptism generally. And then later on in the service, I'm going to also come back up here and talk a little bit about membership. Uh, My fear is that after talking and then baptisms and then singing, you guys will be like, oh, he's talking again (laughs) when I come back up here the second time. So hang in there with me. I promise I'll try to keep my thoughts brief. Uh, this morning, before we um, invite them to come and, and enter the waters of baptism, I just want to briefly touch base with you about the why, the how, the who, the when, and the what of baptism. First, let's talk about why be baptized. Why is this something that Christians do? Uh, the first answer to that question is because Christ commanded it. Uh, Jesus is our Lord. And uh, when we talk about him being Lord, uh, what he has commanded is of great importance to all Christians everywhere. And when Jesus gave the great commission, the great marching orders to the church in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So part of making disciples is teaching them the commands of Jesus and teaching them to obediently respond to those commands. And the very first obedient response, at least that the Bible prescribes for any new believer, is to be baptized. The second reason why Christians should be baptized is because we want to follow Christ's example. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are sincere from the heart imitators of our Lord. And in Mark 1.9, we read, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, the third reason why we are baptized is because it shows that we are believers. In Acts 18.8, it says, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. In the Bible, baptism is the decisive public way of taking a stand and proclaiming that you are a follower of Jesus. Baptism does not make a person a Christian. Baptism does not save you. Only your faith in Christ does that, but it does provide every believer with an opportunity to proclaim and celebrate the truth of the gospel and what that has come to mean for them personally. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's the outward symbol of an inward commitment that you have made in your heart to Jesus. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. 
And baptism is one of those really important times when a believer publicly proclaims and confesses their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Christian faith is meant to be proclaimed and celebrated, not be hidden away as a secret, private thing. Baptism is an important time when a believer takes a decisive public stand for the gospel. So now having talked about why we are baptized, we transition into how. And surprisingly, this is very controversial among Christians, uh, but the word baptize is baptizo in the Greek, and this literally means to dip under the water. It's used back then quite often in the trades if you were somebody who dyed cloth, for example, like Lydia in the Bible, if you're familiar with her story in Acts, she was an independent businesswoman who dyed cloth as her business. Baptizo is the word they would use when you put cloth under the water to completely saturate it in the dye. So you would baptizo the cloth. And that's the word that's being used here. Uh, like Jesus was, and so Jesus was baptized by being immersed in water as well. It says in Matthew 3, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So he went up from the water. That's depicting him having gone down under the water, baptizo, and coming back up. All in all, I think that's a fairly minor point, <laughs> but it is something we're going to be talking about because what you're about to witness is going to be a baptizo. Guys, I'm going to get you all the way under the water. <laughs> I will get you back up, though, I promise. So that's a fairly minor question. I think Christians of good conscience can and will disagree about how exactly we should be baptized. Um, but in one question is, who should be baptized? And I would just answer very simply, every person who believes in Christ. If you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation, you should be baptized. In Acts 2.41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized. In Acts 8, talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it's, but when they believe, I'm sorry, before that, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. And you might remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He's brought by the Holy Spirit to this man out in the wilderness. He brings him along, opening the Bible to him, explaining the way of salvation. And at the end, after embracing the gospel for himself, the Ethiopian says, what's preventing me from being baptized right now? And Philip says, absolutely nothing. And they went down in a ditch water and they just did it right there. No ceremony. Uh, the one requirement of baptism is belief in Jesus Christ. Here at State Road, we don't baptize infants, but baptism is for those who are old enough to understand and clearly articulate their faith in Jesus. If you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation, baptism is something you should do. The next question is, when are we to be baptized? I think it's appropriate to be baptized as soon as you become a believer. Uh, we are baptizing this morning seven individuals, but I'm going to put this out there, and I am not a spontaneous person, <laughs> but if you have put your trust in Jesus for salvation but have never been baptized, you can be baptized this morning. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song as we do. Uh, those who are going to be baptized will be making their way to the back, and if you'd like to be baptized today, I don't see any reason why you can't. Uh, just grab me as we're singing. I can show you where to go. 
Uh, in Acts 2.41, it says, many of them believed and were baptized that day. Now, we come to what the most important question about baptism, which is the what. We know why. Uh, we know how we're going to be baptized. We know who should be baptized. We know when they should be baptized. But what? God, what is meant to be symbolized by this? I, I, to help me unpack this, I want to look to Romans 6, 4 through 5. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. It says, this is Paul writing to the Christians in Rome. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Uh, in these words, which are given to us by our God in his word, there are a few things I want you to see about what is meant to be symbolized by what you're about to be witnessed. The first is that baptism depicts being united to Christ in his death. It says there, Paul writing to the Romans says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. And so what's meant by that is that just as Jesus died, uh, the great hope of the Christian is that Jesus died on the cross for us. And when he went into the tomb, he died the death that we should have died. God's judgment and wrath was visited on Jesus. And what it's saying is we were buried there, therefore with him by baptism into death. When you go down into the water, that is meant to depict that all of your sins went with Jesus into the grave. And if that was all we did was just dunk you down in the water, well, it would, it would end kind of sadly. <laughs> uh, people would die. You can't survive underwater. Isn't that accurate? And so that brings us to the second point. Which is this, Paul doesn't leave us in the tomb. He doesn't leave us underwater. He then goes on to say, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be reunited with, united with him in a resurrection like his. So just like the, the, Jesus went into the tomb, taking all our sins with him, the believer goes down into the water and then resurrection is also being depicted. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. He was resurrected bodily. Galatians 2.20 says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Something else that's being depicted in baptism, uh, but which is perhaps less commonly um, talked about, is this idea that there is, we are also not just being united with Christ, but united with his body, the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul, again, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Communion is a wonderful time where the believer is not only saying, um, I have put my trust in Jesus, but I am also have joined myself to a people, his church, the body. 
I think arguably one of the earliest examples of baptism in the Bible are not usually thought of as baptism, but maybe the first time we see baptism sort of being betrayed is Noah's Ark, where um, the water comes down and the, the ark rises above it, carrying with it the people within. Another early depiction of baptism might be the crossing of the Red Sea, where on one side, God's people were enslaved. They were in bondage, but then they went down through the water and came out on the other side free and set apart, consecrated to follow God. And I think in these depictions, which are early sort of prefigurings of our practice of baptism, we see some picture of what it means to be a follower of God too. Certainly the idea of being cleansed of our sin, being freed, going down into the water and coming up, all these things are being depicted in there. But when I think of baptism, I I have to hearken back to when I was in high school. Um, I had attended over the summer, uh, summer camp. Is actually here in Maine. I did not live in Maine at the time, but I went to Camp Washington for their youth retreat that's down on the coast. And uh, one day I went to the, I wanted a t-shirt. I went to the campus, the camp store, and the only t-shirt they had in my size was this shirt that had a bright purple outline silhouette of Jesus with the uh, cross, uh, the thorn, thorny crown, big purple Covered my whole torso. And I was like, all right, I'll buy that. I was one of those kids where I just couldn't let money burn. It burned a hole in my pocket if I didn't spend it. So I went there to buy a shirt, and by golly, I left with a shirt. <laughs> but the, I, I also had buyer's remorse pretty much instantly because the shirt was hideous. Um, I, it was purple. I don't like purple. It was this enormous picture of Jesus with the thorns. It was the kind of thing where I could only wear at that camp. I went back uh, home, and I should also add this. I was terrible at doing my own laundry when I was in high school. And uh, one Monday morning, I showed up at the breakfast table um, wearing a shirt that was visibly dirty. Like a puppy who was taken away from his mother too early or something. I didn't know how to take care of myself yet. But my mom said, oh, Joshua, you you can't wear that shirt to school. It's dirty. And I said, but mom, I don't have any other clean shirts. (laughs) You see where this is going. (laughs) She didn't believe me. So as we trudged up to my bedroom which is the kind of mom I had, have, she's still with us. She, <laughs> she uh, was chastising me about how I needed to do my own laundry and be better. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. We got up there, she opens the drawers, and what's right there on top? <laughs> Purple Jesus. <laughs> right on top. Now, something for context I should explain. I was going to high school in Vermont, Vermont, according to Barna Research Group, is the most irreligious state in the country. I was the only Christian I knew of outside of my siblings in my high school, if you can believe it. It was a place that was downright hostile uh, to the faith. At least I felt that way at the time. I was very bullied by my peers. 
And my mom said, oh, look, this one's here. And she pulled it up, and it was crisp white and purple, guys. Now, I thought quick on my feet. I said, Mom, I can't wear that shirt to my high school. And I instantly saw her face crater. Like, I thought our problem was dirty laundry. But I saw in her look, oh, my faith's son is teetering and fragile, and I need to push back against what he's saying. I could see the look on her face. I knew where this conversation was going to go. I knew my dad would get involved if I didn't speak up very quickly. So I said, Mom, I know what you're thinking. I don't want to wear the shirt because I care about my witness. And this shirt is just too aggressive. It's too over the top. It's too in your face. This is no way to start a conversation about Jesus in my high school. That's why I don't wear it, which was a lie. May have been true, but it was a lie. Do you know why I didn't want to wear that T-shirt in my high school? Because I was a coward. I was bullied. I didn't want to be disapproved of, thought poorly of. I didn't want people to not want to be my friend. I wanted pretty girls to think I might be somebody they would want to date. The last thing I wanted was to be associated with purple Jesus. Now, when I talk about baptism, guys, here's something you need to know. On the cross, Jesus wore you publicly. Jesus took all of your sin onto himself in front of everyone. He was not ashamed of you. He was not ashamed to be associated with you. Jesus wore me on the cross, and I wouldn't wear him into Fairhaven Union High School. Now, that's a shameful story. It's embarrassing. (laughs) I'm so glad for a God of grace who has covered all my sins, including that one. But what you're about to see as my friends enter the waters of baptism are people who are saying, I'm with Jesus. That's what this moment's about. Jesus wore me publicly, and I want to publicly declare that I am a follower of Jesus. I've put my trust in Jesus. He's my God, and I belong to him. Amen? Let me pray, and as I pray, the worship team can come up. We're going to sing one more song. And if you have not been baptized but are not on the list, please grab me. would love to have you come into the waters of baptism this morning. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for these who are about to be baptized. God, I pray that they would be filled with an awesome sense of your pleasure in this moment. God, grant them a sense of your nearness, your delight in them. Father, I pray, Lord, that this moment when they publicly declare, I'm a follower of Jesus, would not be a high watermark of their faith, but the beginning of something extraordinary and wonderful. God, I'm grateful for these. I pray that the years ahead would see much fruit as they follow you and seek to live for you in the midst of these days in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And I just wanted to close our service this morning by welcoming some folks into membership. And before we do that, just want to share a few brief thoughts on membership. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as being a body made up of many members. It doesn't say that the church is like a body. It says that the church is a body made up of many different members. And that word members in relation to the body is the root word and the root meaning when we talk about church membership. You are members of a body. And as such, you find purpose and usefulness and help in being vitally connected and committed to that body through involvement in a local church. Fellow Christian, it is true that you were made by your Creator with certain strengths and gifts. But it is also true that you were designed on purpose with limitations and weaknesses. Both are from God for your joy. We're gifted in order that we might be a blessing and a help according to our gifts. And we are limited in order that others might be a blessing and a help to us. And in the midst of that, God is made real here in the midst of our fellowship. The church is intended by God as a community where we meet needs according to our strengths and where we have our needs met according to the strengths of others. This is part of what is being envisioned when we talk about the church as a body. The various parts work together in concert toward a common objective. In short, we need one another. Nevertheless, being a member of a body is not what we typically think about when we hear the word membership, at least not as it relates to an organization. No, we we tend to think more of like belonging to a club A club member is someone who pays dues, comes to meetings, fulfills the obligations of a club member. But the Bible says membership is much more intimate than that. Something else entirely is being envisioned and described when we talk about membership in a church. Ephesians 5, 29 through 30, for example, says this, "...for no one ever hated his own flesh." but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. To be a church member means we are a member of Christ's body, just like your finger is a member of your body. If you lop off a finger, if it becomes dismembered, it withers and dies. He connects us, and His blood runs through us. His Spirit animates us. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The idea behind the body and membership is a vital connectedness. Now, if you go look up church membership in your Bibles, you'll find that it is never explicitly mentioned by name. But I can think of about six evidences that the early church had some notion of membership. I don't know that I need to make the argument, but maybe I do. (laughs) So I'll just really quickly blow through these six evidences for church membership that we do see in the Bible. One is Acts 2 tells us that they kept numerical records. As people were added to the church, they made note of that. They kept numerical records. For example, as we're told, in that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 1 Timothy 5 tells us that they kept records of widows. 
Not every widow in the city, but those widows who were a part of the church. They held elections to appoint deacons. In Acts 6, we're told that they were instructed to choose seven men from among you. Well, that among you needed some sort of definition. Being a member of a church is a prerequisite for leadership. The fourth evidence we see of church membership in the Bible is that they exercise church discipline. Church membership is implied by the simple fact that excommunication even exists in the Bible. Paul implies this in 1 Corinthians 5, where he deals with the necessity of putting someone out of the church. He says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There are two implications here. One is that there is an in-the-church group and an outside-the-church group. Being in the church is definable. The other implication is that a person can be removed for being, from being in the church. Such a formal removal would not be possible if there was no such thing as a formal membership. A fifth, that's a, not a very fun uh, evidence to dwell upon, but there it is nevertheless. A fifth one is that their leaders were responsible for giving an account of their leadership, and the church was asked to submit to their leaders. We read that in Hebrews 13 and elsewhere. And a sixth evidence is this. Most of the epistles, those letters that make up uh, a lot of our New Testament, were written to the church in specific places. Now, for all these reasons and more besides, I think there is an abundance of evidence that the early church possessed a notion of membership, much akin to the one that we have here at State Road. Christians in the early church understood themselves as belonging to a local church in a way that they would recognize, I think, today. All that's pretty dry and dusty stuff. It's academic. It's... Uh, an argument, maybe. And maybe you're not a Bible wonk. So let me transition here before we invite some people up to the heart behind membership. Over the past number of weeks together here at State Road, we've been studying our way through the book of Philemon. And in Paul's letter to Philemon, there is an unusually high concentration of terms used to describe church members. Uh, the whole book of Philemon is just 17 sentences long, and in roughly half of those sentences, Paul uses some kind of a description for other believers. For example, there is a lot of family imagery. The words brother, sister, my child occur over and over again in the letter to Philemon. And one of the things we can see here is this, we're a family. That's, that's one of the things for sure we see in Philemon. Our relationship with Christ changes and impacts our human relationships. Being God's child makes us brothers and sisters together with all other believers. The gospel trains us to look on another, one another with love and respect. We care for one another and do all we can to heal broken relationships and lovingly rectify problems and disagreements as they arise, just like a family should. There is also language in the letter to Philemon 
which is meant to describe shared mission and a dedicated partnership in a common cause. For example, in his letter, he uses expressions for other believers like beloved fellow worker, fellow soldier, your partner, fellow prisoner in Christ. When we put all this together, uh, a, a clear image for the church emerges, at least in Paul's mind as he's expressing it in the letter to Philemon. We could spend a Sunday each unpacking the full meaning of these different ways that Paul describes fellow believers. We could talk about what it means and implies that Paul looks upon his fellow believers as a fellow soldier, or a fellow worker, or a fellow prisoner, or a partner. But taken as a whole, these descriptions denote a shared hope in Christ, a shared cause, and a shared mutual concern often amid shared hardships. Now, what does all this mean for church membership? The way Paul describes these members of the body of Christ, I think, capture the heart and spirit behind this moment. We're a family. We're dedicated partners laboring side by side. State Road is a community of Christians with many God-given gifts, talents, and abilities. And God is glorified and His love is made real when we use those gifts for the good of others and in support of our church fellowship. Church membership is a define the moment, define the relationship kind of moment. When we declare that we intend to be committed to our church family and to support the work and mission of the church with all that we are and all that we have. Uh, If baptism as a moment is a time when we say very publicly, I'm with Jesus. Uh, Church membership is one of those times in church life when we say we have found our people here. And in this moment, we're not so much conferring upon these people anything, really, although they will have a vote, I suppose, when State Road comes to their senses and decides to fire me, they will be part of the vote because that's what church members do. But more than conferring anything on them, what this moment really and truly is, is them saying, we want to give ourselves to you. We're we're here in a boots-on-the-ground kind of way. Uh, Jesus' command to love one another as he loved us is very much expressed in moments like membership, where we are saying that I'm I'm committed to you guys, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to resolve to work through differences and all of that. And so this is a wonderfully sweet moment. Uh, We do not require membership to um, participate in meaningful ways in our ministry here at State Road. And so really, this is just them saying, we love you guys, and we're here. We're with you in what God is doing at State Road. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace to serve the Lord.